Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. My guest today is Stockwell Day. It's an honor to have him. He has decades of experience in both provincial and federal politics. And uh, Stockwell, welcome. I'm excited to have you on the program. Welcome. Well, great to be with you. We are in the middle of uh, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, when you take a look at the news, especially mainstream media, there's, you know, it's completely different than what you and I have access to through all the other areas of gathering data in news, not on the mainstream media, especially with the Freedom Convoy, uh, you know, et cetera. What's your, pers- what's your perspective on what's happening right now in Ottawa? What's happening in Ottawa, Leon, is in a way a reflection of really what's happening globally. And I don't want to be uh, prematurely overly optimistic here. But as you know, yourself included, many people uh, on the left or the right of the spectrum have been pushing back for some years on the way in which there seems to be a control or the attempt to control true diversity of thought and true diversity of expression to the point where people literally get, quote, canceled if they go against what we call the the mainstream uh, narrative. And I think we may be seeing some cracks in that terrible armor globally. So what's happening on the Hill, really, uh, the, the trucker convoy would never even have been necessary and probably wouldn't have happened if the views that they have and the concerns they have were allowed to have been expressed. And, uh, you know, there's a, a leadership problems with the Conservative Party really come down to, in my view, uh, if you have a leader that does not allow freedom of expression, does not allow people to speak up, especially on behalf of constituents in a democracy, that pressure is just going to build and build and build, and it's going to get seismic. And finally, it's going to start cracking and it's going to be bursting out in different ways. And that's what's happened here. Uh, the trucker convoy, uh, so many people just by the by the tens of thousands, absolutely, uh, I guess I use the word fed up with their representatives not being allowed to raise questions and talk about any view that is separate from the mainstream narrative. See, that's what I that was another thing I was going to I was going to ask you about is like, what kind of pressure is this freedom convoy putting on politicians? What do you think is going on there? behind the scenes and in the back rooms? It's a great question. I think um, you're going to see this being written about this event. It will be written out in articles and possibly books in years to come. Because one of the things it's done, it's applied enough pressure on some existing members of parliament. Actually, the pressure has been on all members of parliament. But some of them are being sensitive enough to say, you know what, I'm going to speak out. And even though their leaders tell them you cannot even you can't even talk about uh, concerns about, let's say, a COVID mandate. And, w- and we know there's, you know, there's two sides of that issue. Um, so what it's done, it has forced, I'll use that word, a number of members of parliament to realize the right thing to do is speak up on behalf of your constituents. And there's a ton of constituents being represented here. So it's brought them out into the open. And it's forcing a discussion that mainstream media and mainstream politics do not want to have. When you, uh, if, what should the leaders be doing? Like, 
right now with what's going on, because that's very well stated, the pressure's been growing, and finally, uh, like, there is so much going on with that Freedom Convoy. More uh, convoys are coming in. We're expecting this weekend to be bigger than ever. What should leaders do in response to this, like the Prime Minister? They should respond to their intellectual and democratic principles, which is to allow in a democracy, you allow freedom of expression, diversity, and thought in a true way. So people will say, well, you know, is this thing, just using the example you've raised, with the uh, convoy and with the Conservative Party, what they're going through right now, you know, we're just seeing the need for people to be allowed to talk about their side of the issue. It's not even a left-right issue now. It's a matter of, do I have the right to talk about what I strongly believe I'm allowed to talk about? And when you try and stifle that, it's going to lead to problems. So this isn't a matter of, you know, I used to tell, and I, and I feel badly for a leader O'Toole. I, I know what he's going through from harsh experience. But it, come, it keeps coming down to this. I would tell MPs, you will always have the right to have your say. It doesn't mean you're always going to get your way. And the MPs that are pushing back hardest and wanting to be allowed to speak openly, they're not saying, if we don't get our way on a vote on all the issues, we're going to quit. They're saying, we just want to be able to have our say on behalf of constituents. Conservative uh, MPs, I would think above any, respect this whole aspect of individual rights, individual freedoms more than anybody. And they know that when an issue is raised, let people discuss it and then take a vote. And then, as I said, all my years uh, in office, people would say, were there any times where you thought, you know, uh, you had to compromise yourself? And I said, no, because I went into this understanding democracy. As long as I've got the opportunity to fully express my views, my views of, of my constituents, then we take a vote. If I'm not on the winning side of the vote, we move on to the next issue. Um, I was able to win a lot of votes over the years, and, and I lost some. But it's this democratic process that's been stifled, that's been um, really stomped underground. And when that happens, things then are forced to happen underground. You force these things in a different way. So, you know, when it comes to being the, the leader of the opposition and their role, in your mind, what should have Aaron O'Toole been doing through all of this? He should have not listened to his closest advisors in his office. His closest advisors told him, even before the election, they said, uh, Aaron, you've got a very, very narrow path to victory. And the only way you can win is if you don't allow any of your caucus members to talk about any truly small C conservative issues. If you even allow any of that to be discussed you're going to lose. Unfortunately, he bought into that proposition. And that's led to a growing frustration within his caucus, uh, all of whom are people who say, let us speak to these issues. Let us raise the issues that are bothering people back at home. And then we'll take a vote in caucus um, or we take a vote in public. We lose on the issue. We go on to the next one. But he hasn't allowed that. And that's caused the present difficulties that are overwhelming right now. You know, when you take a look at um, our government and politics and different things, is there a difference just leading in any normal day, month to month, uh, and then leading when you're in the midst of this storm where stuff is changing by the hour? 
And if they're going to lead by what uh, people think, um, and you know, I don't know. I just I was just thinking about that. I thought, is there a difference? What what would you say about that? Leading in storms and then just leading in in normal times. Well, as you say, I mean that's a that's a great question. Um, leading in a storm is when leadership is required. You have to stand up and face the waves and and, and face the hurricanes and all of that. In in good times, you just let the events carry you on. And um, the, the smart politician will take as much credit as he or she can when there's good stuff going on. And that's the way it should be. But you have to make um, make some choices when you're in a time of, of uh, tumult, when you're in a time of storm, when it looks like the ship is going down, uh, those are the difficult times. And you've got to know then that the course that you're steering on is the correct course. If you don't, if you're not convinced of that in your own heart and in your own mind, then you're going to be, as, as we say, you're going to be double-minded. Every wave that comes along is going to blow you in this direction or that direction. So you have to steer the course. And sometimes when you do that, the people around you lose their nerve. When they lose their nerve, you'll probably lose the captaincy of the boat. Because in a democracy, you have to have enough of a team with you to keep going. So it's a time of, it's a time of nerves. It's a time of um, knowing what you believe. And at the end of the day or the end of the vote, you look in the mirror and you say, uh, I did what I really believe was the right thing to do. And then, yeah. you know, you live with the consequences. A lot of times when I'm speaking with members of parliament, MLAs, um, you can sense this angst between the importance of getting in, getting in again, <clears throat> you know, where the, where the party can do and be more effective, and then standing up for the things that are important to the people of Canada. Can you speak to that kind of angst? Like, is it there? What do you say about that? That is the key driver in the elected process and in the life of the elected person. We hear that, uh, you know, somewhat, uh, unfortunately, sarcastically from time to time, that the main uh, role of a politician is to get elected. And the second most important thing is to get reelected. And that, unfortunately, today more than ever, uh, Leon, I've, I've seen this, that is driving the calculus more than ever. Is it going to get us reelected or not? And you always use this thing, you, you go through this thing and say, okay, I don't really want to side with this particular policy or view, but this isn't the hill I want to die on. And so you wind up caving into it. You eventually run out of hills. And, you know, you get to a place where you just have to say, look, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. Not, not going to be stupid, not going to be foolhardy, but you also have to legitimately keep in mind if what you want is not what a majority of your constituents want, then unless you're talking about something that's, you know, horrifically illegal against the law, or whatever, then I think you've got to go with your constituents because you told them I'm going to represent you. So first time I got elected to or was running for elected office, um, I, I, I took out an op-ed in our local newspaper and I said, listen, I believe in the democratic process and I'm here to represent your views. Sometimes if I don't agree with them or if I think there's more information you need, I may even try and persuade you. But at the end of the day, I will be representing what I think is the, is the right and the majority view. I said, however, I need to make a, to let you all know beforehand, uh, before we vote, if it's a, an issue related to pro-life issues, I will be voting and following on, on the pro-life side. And I know that will 
not be in agreement with many of you as my constituents. I hope you will take that in stride and say, okay, well, we'll agree to disagree on that issue and on the other stuff. I like what he's doing, so I'm going to keep voting for him. So I think if there's going to be an issue that you feel as an elected person you can't go with at some point in the future, I think you need to signal that uh, to, to your uh, constituents. But most of the time you are there for your constituents. So these truckers, for instance, um, they are sending messages to their MPs saying, we understand it's difficult to talk about this, but we want a discussion on the COVID mandates. And wherever you are on them personally, we think there's another whole side of science on this. So we want it discussed. We want it debated. And that's where I believe the M an MP does not have a choice. An MP has to say, an MP can say, look, I think we, be, we should be in full lockdown all the time. However, a significant number of my constituents have got serious questions about that. So on their behalf, I'm raising these questions. And that's the proper way to handle it. We're seeing a massive revolt against mainstream media um, with all the social media and blogs and all the different ways that we can access um, brilliant leaders, scientists, doctors. Um, in just my rough estimate, and I, I have a, and I'm able to talk to a lot of different people with what I do. And you know, this is this is my take. I, I'm seeing probably 20% of the nation just sits there glued to mainstream media. They don't really even try to look anywhere else. They just believe everything they see. The fear drives them like you wouldn't believe. The other probably 75%, I'm not, and I'm not dividing this up uh, by, by political parties, just by where they get their information. They are so done with mainstream media, and they are good at finding other ways to look for knowledge, uh, to look for the truth, especially, you know, they want the whole truth. They know they're being censored. And so I'm speaking with experts in other countries who are saying, they're literally saying mainstream media, it is over the way it has been as far as being trusted. I wonder if there's something that's going to impact Canadian government. And just looking at Canada and the world doesn't matter, but is this going to change even the way we do government, uh, the way people look at government, so that people who are up there just kind of going like this to see which way the wind blows. And, you know, uh, a famous basketball coach said, you know, if you listen to the stands too much, you'll soon be in them uh, because mm -hmm. there's a, a side of leadership here that is needed. Talk to that. Is, are we seeing, is this bringing not just the freedom, Conway, but everything going on around the world? Is it changing the way people, people's involvement in politics? Um, well, their involvement in politics and, as you said, their access and their media access and, and choices in media. Um, I hope the breakdown is, as you said, about 20% still glued on the mainstream and the rest are looking around. I kind of suspect you know, it's, it's higher than that in terms of the number of people who are resolutely uh, stuck to mainstream media and it, almost in a biblical way. They see them almost as... Uh, you know, theologically correct, and it's it, it's um, a crime to question the infallibility of mainstream media. I think that percentage is still pretty high, but we can talk about that all day long. The main thing is what yeah. you have said is there is a shift away, and that's why you're seeing a huge power struggle right now, certainly in Canada, certainly in the U.S., uh, globally. There are forces that are fierce at work to try and shut down 
alternate forms of media. And you see it on some of the biggest providers, right? You see it in Facebook. You, you see it on Twitter. You see it in these social media um, platforms where they're saying, you know, we think your view <clears throat> or that view uh, is misinformation. So we are deciding we're going to shut you down. Um, so there is panic at the highest echelons of the power of thought control in Canada around the world. There's real panic that people are daring to believe other sources than the so-called mainstream media. Uh, here's where I'm optimistic. Just look in the last, this is just in the last tiny little while, look, look, look at some stories that have broken. Um, the EU has just announced they're going to include natural gas back on their list of sustainable green uh, energy sources. That is, that is cataclysmic in a yes. day of where we can't even have a discussion. We all agree there's concerns related to climate, but you can't even have a discussion on anything but shut it all down. And now you've got the EU in the face of a torrent of this standing up and saying, no, we're going to include natural gas back on that list of green. And then you shift to something else. Look at the uh, uh, what, what's happening with this whole uh, Joe Rogan issue. Uh, frankly, I haven't listened to him that much, but you've got a giant network like Spotify being threatened by these older woke rock stars saying, you know, we're going to take our music off there, which is a terrible thing for these people to be saying, let their views be known, let Neil Young state his views, and then let the others state theirs. But yeah. look at the, uh, the blackmail he's trying to use, and look at this, Spotify saying, mm, you know what, we're not going the woke way, we're going to stick with Joe Rogan. Look at what has recently happened with Whoopi Goldberg, who is a darling of the woke left. And here we have a woke media agency shutting her down, now it's only for two weeks, but for uh, pretty outrageous stuff, she said, related to uh, Jews as a race and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And then look at the fact that there are, um, well, first in Canada, there's one premier anyway, and there are a number of nations actually saying, you know what, we believe we want people to get vaccinated and, and we encourage that, but we are dropping the mandates. The forced thing does not seem to be working. You, nobody could say that, could have said that six months ago and survive. And now you have, you know, we're, we're not talking about nations nobody's heard about, heard about. We're talking about Japan, we're talking about Great Britain, we're talking about Sweden, you're talking about uh, a premier in, in, uh, in Canada, all saying respectfully, we disagree. So I'm, I'm hoping that these are signs that that, um, the, the stranglehold that's been held by the powers that be is beginning to be, their, their fingers are be, beginning to be pried off uh, the necks of people who actually want to talk about other, another side of the issue. When you look at Canada and you look right now with what's going on in Ottawa and talk to me a little bit about the breakdown of trust between the premiers and the prime minister. What's the tension? What do you think is happening there? Um, so much today of that tension is still based on whatever your position on COVID is. So you see, um, people, NDP, conservatives, liberals, coalescing, or coalescing around the prime minister, for instance, on the lockdown issue. And the reason they're doing that is because polls, at least until recently, it's changing, were indicating to all elected leaders that you've got about 85% support among people for just locking everybody down. And we've seen it, and it's been vicious, right? People who disagree on this, 
workers who have legitimate concerns about not wanting to get vaccinated. And I'm not I'm not purporting one issue, one side or the other, but I'm just saying these folks, um, you know, we're just think of it in this country, this beautiful country called Canada. I think we've lost our status as a tolerant nation because look at all the governments, including the federal, who have said, oh, you disagree on getting vaccinated? Number one, we're going to fine you. Number two, we might jail you. Number three, we're going to take away your right to earn a living. Number four, we've heard some uh, premiers recently saying, you're not going to be able to shop. You're not going to be able to feed yourself. And in a couple of provinces already at the social service level, and we're going to take your kids away. So this is, nobody would have dreamt that kind of language could have existed, um, you know, even a year ago. But the polls have been indicating to politicians that there's huge support for that. I think there has been, but that also is breaking down. So that gets back to uh, your question. There used to be different things that would decide which premiers were going to support the prime minister. And he has had the support of most premiers because of the strength of that issue, but it's beginning to break down. And as it continues to break down, I think, um, you know, one of the things that was historically very, uh, very bad, I felt bad for the prime minister, he made a decision to, or he's being seen as, you know, to go into hiding um, and not be out there on, on some of these issues, especially the convoy thing. And I think you're going to see premiers starting to back away from him as the public mood changes, because you've now got, you know, uh, companies like Pfizer saying are the third dose. Uh, yeah, it's probably not going to help too much on Omicron. And so you see, when you see that strong coalition of 80% in support starting to fade, you're going to see people starting to pull away from the prime minister. Wow, very interesting. You know, the thing that we hear amongst the population, uh, amongst just everyday average people is they don't trust the stats that are being given by healthcare, by government. Um, they, they don't, you know, and it makes you wonder uh, if even the polls and the things, because one of the questions that I kept getting being asked as the convoy, and we had, you know, cameras with the convoy going all the way all across Canada, and to see the stunning amounts of people in every city, every little town, all along the way that were just saying freedom, we just want freedom, it, it made you think, okay, we've been convinced almost over the last number of while that the vast majority um, are with uh, the mandates. And that's what we're being told. I mean, I've seen them put out poll after poll after poll. Everybody wants this, everybody wants that. And then we're all starting to question saying, you know, I wonder if even that was truthful. And right. <laughs> so that's the question that, you know, if we talk about what are people thinking, what are people looking at, they don't trust anything right now. They're waiting for some leader to rise up and just be open, to stop censoring us, to share with what you're dealing with, what you're thinking about. And if any of leaders, whether it's premiers or prime minister, will just you know, switch to that tactic and go, okay, let's, let's have some real talk. Oh, I think that people are just ready for a leader that would stand up. You're quite right. And whatever the percentage is now that is still supportive of the mandate, I believe it, it is still a majority, I think, um, but it is dropping. And it's dropping for that very reason. People are, are asking themselves, why are politicians afraid to even talk about this? when you've got, you know, all kinds of other uh, scientific evidence coming forward, especially when you've got entire countries that are now, you know, 
England is not exactly a backwater intellectually or medically or no. scientifically. Neither is Japan. Neither is mm -hmm. Sweden. And look no. at the change of heart we're seeing in Israel, which was the most, in fact, quadruple vaxxed country in the world. And now starting to realize this is creating problems. So when people sense that that kind of truth is being hidden from them, they start to depart from previous positions. I do think you're, you're still in a majority as far as support for the lockdowns, but it is depleting. And you see it strongest among those who are vaxxed. So many people who are you know, triple vaxxed are saying, we don't support this, this lockdown thing. So yeah, yeah I think that you're, you're gonna continue to see a drop in the polls on that. Yeah, I agree. I think that as you continue to go down this road, what they're telling me a lot is, okay, I thought that it was gonna be one vaccination too, um, but, but I did not sign up for three, four, five, six, seven, or like some of them are saying, you're going to have to do one, you know, every few months and your kids and, and, and they're just telling me I'm not getting the next one, which means they're going to go back into this unvaxxed status. And yet they say they don't care. So you're right. There's a lot of stuff coming into, uh, mainstream and thinking and, uh, we're seeing a, a real change. That is for sure. Um, another question I'm going to ask you, with the international community and their eyes are on Canada, and I've been watching video, which everyone has access to, of the convoys now in the other countries uh, that are, are rising up. Any advice you have, um, or what would you say to the international community about what's going on right now? Well, it's a great example because when you see something rise up, it does have a way of encouraging people in other areas. And uh, this is having an effect. People see what's been happening in, in Canada, and now you see these trucker convoys springing up all around the place. They may well be in countries where they're still in a minority. But it's, you know, it's the, uh, it, it's the courage factor, right? It's when, when you or I see somebody else being willing to take a stand, perhaps lose everything they have on something as important of being allowed to speak freely, that begins to motivate people. And this is what you are seeing around the world. It's, uh, it, it, it's the courage effect. When you see, you know, lead by example um, in your own life and you will have an effect on others as they see, they, as people start to say to themselves, hey, other people are taking a stand. You know what, maybe I can too. That's well said. I think that's true that it doesn't matter what's going on. All of us uh, want freedom. We want freedom of conscience, we freedom to live our lives. And uh, so this seems to have given others courage, and we're just seeing a ton more speak up. And uh, so it is an exciting time. Thank you for being with us. It's been great to hear your perspective and see you wade into some of these things. And I'd love to talk again soon and uh, have a great week. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for having me. And I just, you know, I have to say uh, you're exhibiting some courage in being willing to allow more than one side of an issue to be discussed. In, in media today, that's still rare. Uh, there are others out there doing it, but you are having an effect that way. And um, I, I believe the results will be positive. As Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, you start to die the day you decide you're not gonna speak up on what you know is right. And um, you're breathing life into the discussion by being willing to to air it and to discuss the various views. So good for you on doing that. Thanks, Doc. We'll talk to you soon.
Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.